Father, tonight we pray. And we thank you so much for the blessings that you give in our lives, God. Father, you are the healer. God, you're a provider. You're a satisfaction, God, and fulfill all of our needs. So, Father, we thank you so much for that. God, we thank you for the promises that you give us. The promises that we can cling to that give us hope, God. Father, we thank you for your love. God, for the blood that you shed on the cross. And what that means for us. And Father, we thank you for the faith we can have in our salvation. And God, we pray that you would show us our way. And God, show us your will. God, we love you so much. Amen. You can be seated. If you want, you can open your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Uh, Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 30 tonight. Um, <clears throat> and then next week, I told you last week that we were going to make it through uh, feeding of the 5,000 5, and Jesus walking on water, which we're actually not. We're just going to do the 5,000 tonight. We're going to slow down um, for two reasons. One, I said last time that I, I had done this lesson a couple months ago, a few months ago when we were doing giving things, and we're going to take a different perspective. Last time we did this, we actually looked at John 6. This passage is in Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew 14, Mark 6, and then again in John 6. And so it gives us different perspective, different viewpoints, different insights into the story. And last time we focused on John, which we'll refer to some, but tonight we're going to take a little bit different spin on what's happening here and what we focus on. And the song we just sang, it as well was actually the song they sang right before the, the first time I ever got to preach here at Rock Point. Uh, they did that song and I got up and it was a, it was a good intro, which I didn't know they were going to sing it, but it was a good intro for me because I had the week before been in Colorado. My best friend growing up, his mother had uh, passed away in a tragic accident and I'd gone to Colorado for the funeral and my best friend, uh, who was the college and men's pastor at First Irving, uh, here in the Metroplex had done the service and it was, he's a year younger than I am and it was amazing to watch uh, a young man, we were, gosh, we were like 20, 27, 26, 27, uh, when this took place, and it was amazing to watch this young man stand and share the gospel, uh, not only with his family, but with all those that were in the audience, specifically for, he wanted to do the service because he knew he had family members that didn't know Christ, uh, and he wanted to share the gospel through this tragedy, and it was, um, it was one of those experiences that just really summed up this idea of I am living for the kingdom of God regardless of what happens to me and I'm pursuing sharing Christ and loving people. Um, and so tonight we're going to kind of focus in on this idea of when we need to rest and when we don't. It's, I think it's insightful what Jesus does with his disciples as we've walked through the book of Mark just to recap the first five and a half chapters for you. Mark writes this book, Mark being maybe John Mark, a, a, a convert during Peter and Paul's ministry, maybe just another person named Mark. We're not totally sure which Mark this is, but we know that he's writing to the Roman community in Rome, and he's writing for the purpose of sharing the gospel, but specifically to defend who Jesus is, to defend what we call the divinity of Christ. Uh, and through this, we've seen multiple people be healed. We've seen amazing teaching. We've seen all kinds of great things that communicates who Jesus is as the Son of God. And today we get to the feeding of the 5,000 in in verse 30 of chapter 6, and it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, this is talking about, it's referring back to, in chapter 6, the beginning of, in verse uh, in verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. This is after he's left 
Nazareth and only healed a handful of people and hasn't taught much. This is the, that's the passage where a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And so Jesus leaves. He goes from village to village and he's sharing uh, the message of the coming kingdom of God. And he's sharing uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago, all these very intense things that Jesus teaches about what it means to follow God and to be a part of this family and how we live and respond and all those things. And in verse 7, it says, Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. Verse 8, These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but uh, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if if any... Uh, excuse me, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Verse 12, then they went out and preached that people should repent or they proclaimed the truth so that people might respond to God. Literally translated as so that people might repent. Verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people uh, with oil and healed them. When we when we covered this passage, we talked about two things we talked about. One, we talked about the, the fact that they went into these homes and they were instructed, when you enter a home in a village, you stay there. Whoever welcomes you, you stay there until you leave that village. And, and we just talked about this idea of longevity inside a church community, a family, and not leaving and being a part of when things go bad, you stay. When things go well, you stay. When you like something, you stay. When you don't like something, you stay. You work through it like adults. And we, we pulled that concept out, and then we also pulled out the concept of people responding to God, because he tells them specifically, they don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet and walk out. It's not your fault. It's God moving in the hearts of men. The thing that we didn't focus on that I want to pull out today, it says, they went out and they proclaimed the truth so that people might respond to God. People respond to God when the truth is proclaimed. When the truth is preached, People respond to God. And going back, it says that the disciples came together and they shared with Jesus what they had done and taught. So they have gone out. They've done what Jesus has said. They've gone from village to village. They've shared the coming kingdom of God. They've healed people of demons. They've cast them out. They've stayed at homes. They've done all these things. And now they have come back to Jesus to report this is what's happened. In verse 31, it says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, Come with me, you by yourselves, to a quiet place and get some rest. So you, here you have the disciples. They've left Nazareth. They're walking with Jesus. They're going from village to village. He calls them and says, I'm going to send you out by twos. You're going to go out and you're going to begin to do ministry on your own. Ready? Go. And so they go and they do that. And then we see Jesus again and they're coming to Jesus and they say, this is what's happened. And there's so much commotion. There's so much going on that these guys have not been able to eat. They've not been able to take a breath and sit down and take a break and eat. And he says to them in response to what he recognizes, you need a break. Come away with me, you by yourself, so withdraw to a secluded place so you can get some rest. There are times in our life when we need to rest. Specifically these guys, they're out doing what Jesus called them to do, and he says, okay, that's enough. Let's go hang out by ourselves for a little while. And this is Jesus, you know, intently investing in 12 men outside of the thousands of people that are around, and he's pulling them away and saying, let's go to a quiet, secluded place, and let's get some rest. Take a breath. Verse 32, it says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So, let's go get some rest, let's get on a boat, and let's go where we can. And so they do that. Verse 33, it says, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Recognize being the word used for fully understanding, 
who they were. So they get on the boat. Jesus says, come on, let's go by ourselves. Let's withdraw to a secluded place. He and 12 men get on a boat and they begin to, to move away, more than likely in the Sea of Galilee. And then you've got many people who are recognizing, understanding, looking and saying, we know who these people are. They're perceiving, they have full understanding of Jesus and the disciples, and they go running ahead of where they're going. We're not sure where they're going because it doesn't specifically state where he was at this point or where he was going when he when he got off the boat. Regardless, you've got multiple people, thousands of, we're going to see through the rest of the story, who from their villages look at and see Jesus and his disciples, recognize that's Jesus and his 12 guys, let's go meet him. And so they come running in the thousands. Now, the, the villages that are surrounding this, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, more than likely, where we're guessing that Jesus is at, there are like 240 plus villages that are around the area, and there's between 150 and 300,000 people. So there are thousands of people, of which 5,000 men plus women and children come, so there are between 30 and 50, maybe more, thousand people who see from their villages Jesus and these guys on the boat, and they go running ahead of him to meet him before they get there. Again, we, we have this story of, this ongoing story, Jesus having his divinity defended by Mark. No one will thousands of people go running to be ahead of other than Jesus. A simple carpenter who walks around and teaches people and does amazing miracles. No one other than Jesus, the Son of God, will thousands of people come running to see, to hear, to be impacted by so, so many of them saw, recognized, understood, and they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Again, we see what is Jesus' response to broken people coming to him? Compassion. That's been a standard throughout the entire book of Mark so far. When Jesus encounters people who are in need, who are broken, who are sick, who are poor, who are demon-possessed, he has compassion on them. What is our response to people who are sick, who are, who are poor, who are in need? Most of us aren't going to encounter a demon-possessed person. At least I would argue most of us won't. And I have not yet. But we're to have compassion on them to the point where we're, we're compelled now to be a part of the solution for them. When someone has no money, give them some money. If they look like they're doing drugs, don't give them money. Have compassion on them. When Ryan and I first got married, there was a knock at our door. I was awful at this. If somebody asked me for money, I was giving it to them. Just, here we go. When we first got married, there was a knock at the door. I'm writing a, a paper for a college. I was finishing school at that time. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I opened the door, and it's a woman who's standing there giving me the sob story about the axle that had fallen off her car and all the, the things that have happened. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give you some money. So I gave her 20 bucks. Three days later, there's a knock at my door again at midnight, and this lady's just totally strung out. And so I don't know how many drugs I purchased uh, the, the first encounter. Um, so it's, it's not always wise just to throw money, which you all know that, but I had learned that the hard way because she came back. Um, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But they land. Jesus sees this large crowd of people, and again, he has compassion, and he's compelled now. He looks at them and says, or, or, or he recognizes that they were they were like sheep sheep without a shepherd. And so obviously you've got thousands of people who are broken. And Jesus looks at it and says, I recognize that you need God. And he has compassion on it. says he begins teaching them many things, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the things that Jesus teaches. More than likely, he's doing that once again. 
Verse 35, it says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, came to him. It says, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. This is interesting because here, here's the twist. The beginning of this story, the disciples have come to Jesus and they've come back saying, we're, we're going to share with you now what you sent us to do. Here's what's happened. And so much is going on that Jesus says, hey, you guys haven't eaten. You haven't had any rest. Let's move away. Let's take some rest. Let's take some, t- take some time for you to rest, for us to talk, and just take a breath. So they get in a boat. They begin to go through that. By the time they get where they're going, there are now thousands of people, once again, that they encounter. Jesus automatically has compassion and love, begins to teach and take care of. It's late in the day, and the disciples then come to Jesus and say, hey, you need to send these people away. We're not done with our break yet. And it all seems to be wrapped around this idea of food. To begin with, the disciples hadn't had time to eat, but now these people need something to eat. The interesting thing is when the, when the disciples are in need, Jesus tells them. They don't go to Jesus to start with and say, hey, let, let me share with you everything I've done. I need a break. No, they wait. They continue to do what God has called them to. And when they need a break, Jesus addresses the issue. Let's take a break. But then they encounter people once again in the midst of this break. They're tired. They're hungry. They've been traveling. They've been teaching. They've been casting out demons. I'm sure that takes some energy. And they need some rest. And they need some... Those are essential things. Rest and food. Those are essential. Jesus recognizes and says, let's go do this. But yet, in the midst of that, they encounter all these people. They begin to do ministry once again. Have compassion. Love people. Teach them. Bring about the the coming kingdom of God and what God is doing in redeeming man. And the disciples go, we are not done. Send these people away so they can eat and we can rest. There are thousands of them. We're exhausted. And how does Jesus respond? You give them something to eat. It's not our place and it's, it's not our judgment call. God, I'm done. I'm tapped out. I can't handle this anymore. I can't do any more loving of people. I need a break. I can't do any more serving with kids. I need a break. I can't do any more ministry tasks at my church. I can't take on anything else. I need a break. I need to just sit and learn. Jesus' response would be, you give them something to eat. When it's time for us to have a break, Jesus will address it. Until then, you give them something to eat. And, and, and so not only does he say, no, you're wrong, but he tells them to do something they can't do. They go on and they say, it says, they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go, <clears throat> are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give them, uh, to give them to eat? So he says, you give them something to eat. And they say, are you serious? You know how much money that would cost? Do you you seriously want us to take what we have out of our funds and go to the towns and buy bread and come back and give all these people some bread to eat? Is this wise, Jesus? I mean, really? So they're tired. They're hungry. They want to rest. This is inconveniencing them because they just got interrupted in their break. We were now in our rest period. We were on our sabbatical on the boat 
and we got interrupted. This is inconvenient. Not only that, Jesus, but you're asking us to do something that's not wise. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. We don't need to spend money this way. This isn't smart. Seriously. Is this what we're supposed to do? And Jesus responds and he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. You give them something to eat. What do you got? If for some reason, this everything so far has been wrapped around the idea of bread. Uh, he says, give them something to eat. And they say, well, are we supposed to go buy bread? And he says, well, how many loaves you got? Go check it out. And then the response to that says, when they found out, they came and they said to Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish. Which is interesting, because Jesus didn't ask how many fish you got. But they came back, maybe, to communicate, hey, we got five rolls. If, you, if we go to John, both Matthew and Mark communicate just, just in kind of generic terms of loaves and fish, uh, both of which use ichthus, which is a fish that's prepared and ready to be eaten, which is interesting because the ichthus is the one used to symbolize Christianity. You're all a bunch of fish who are prepared to be eaten. It's meat, huh? Um, anyway, so it's, it's, just a, it's just a simple word to communicate a fish that's ready to be eaten. So they say, we got five loaves of bread and we got two fish. But John, on the other hand, John goes a little further and is a little more descriptive about what's going on, maybe to exaggerate or to communicate, I, I'm, I tend to, when I tell stories, I exaggerate. Not the truth, I'm not lying, but I, I definitely use some emphasis to make things sound sometimes a little bigger than they are, especially if it's dealing with me looking better or more athletic or more productive. I always will exaggerate and make myself look better. Um, anyways, but John does so, and he writes with terms saying, we, we had five small rolls, and we had two, what he calls a tidbit, which is a tiny piece of a fish, it's like sardine size to go with. It's more like a it's more like a taster to go with the bread, more than it is a protein substance than anything. But here, um, it, that's not the focus that Mark does. I think John makes that focus just to communicate the insignificance of the lunch. Not only that, the boy who gives the lunch is not addressed only in John, as he addressed in John, and told in the storyline where they get this food at, and he's not even named. So it's just this interesting concept of the insignificance of a man's interjection into God doing what he's going to do. And last, last time we talked about the giving and it not a being, not being about what you're going to give and what God wants to do with what you give, but rather the fact that you should be in awe in what you bring that God would be willing to use the same way this, this boy would look at and go, I am honored and in awe that you would take my five rolls and my two sardines and feed thousands of people. And, and John communicates just our insignificance and our inability to do things. But here, Mark just goes through and again kind of uses not so much generic but not as specific as John does what they have. And they say, we've got five loaves and we've got two fish. Jesus says, how many loaves? And they go, well, we don't have much of anything, Jesus. We found two fish and we found five loaves of bread. We don't have the resources. We're tired. Send them away. Jesus responds in verse 39. says, and Jesus directed them to have them all sit down uh, in groups on the green grass. Uh, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and groups of 50. So here, let's group them together and let's put them on the grass. I don't know if you've ever seen 50,000 people sitting on a grass lawn. That's a lot. In groups of 50 and a half. I mean, this, oh my goodness. I, I wanted to show a picture, but I don't show pictures, so I didn't do that. Um, and no, I don't have a picture of 50,000 people sitting in groups of hundreds and fifties, but you can probably imagine. Just the amount of people who are, that they're directing to sit down, that they're now going to feed with. This is impossible. 
this is almost stupid impossible. Like, this is a joke. You're going to take five rolls and you're going to take two sardines and we got, really, honestly, and again, this idea that Mark is defending who Jesus is, the fact that, that they're going through this whole thing and Jesus is actually going to make this happen. Verse 41 says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people and he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Jesus, send these people away because it's late, and they need to get some food, and we need to get some rest. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. We come to church and get involved, and I... I don't know how many times I've heard or heard of the response of people when they're asked to serve or do things, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in this room, uh, and if you're offended, I'm not apologizing. Um, <laughs> that was funny, right? That was good. But we hear, the response we hear is, man, I'm tired, I've served a lot, and you know, I'll pray about it, but I just feel like God wants me to rest right now. I really feel like He wants me to rest. You can rest when you die, in all honesty. Like that whole concept of, of dying, uh, I, I went and I read N.T. Wright, uh, Surprised by Hope, and he has a, uh, a not a traditional view of exactly what happens, or at least the tradition that I grew up in. But regardless, it, the end of the day when we die until the completion of God bringing everything back, our death experience is we die and then we're in a peaceful state with Jesus. When do we get to rest from being a part of what God's doing in the kingdom of God? When you die. It, again, it's not for you to say, it's not for me to say, hey, I need a break. I'm tired. Even when you feel like, I'm tired, I'm tapped out, I have nothing left. Jesus, Jesus fed 50,000 people or more with two sardines and five loaves. He can give you what you need to do what He's called you to do. Not only that, but you have this response, they were tired, send these people away. Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And they say, this is not possible. Even if it was, this isn't smart. Anytime I'm making decisions or working through or teaching young decisions, teaching students or anywhere, James writes and says, if anyone is lacking wisdom, ask God and he will give you an abundance. I think wisdom is smart. When you make wise choices, that's great. We're supposed to. But at the same time, God may call, God may move in your life to do something that is not wise, that is not smart, that you don't have the resources for. That you don't have the resources, you don't have the ability you may not even want to do it. These 12 guys are not soaked about this idea. But yet, if God is calling, He obviously is going to provide, He's going to move, and He can. Now, He may not do that, but if He does, your response to God, the disciples' response in what Jesus has said, even though they don't agree, even though this isn't wise, this isn't a good use of funds, this isn't even possible. When he says, you give them something to eat, they go, we don't have anything. 
And he says, what do you got? They count it and they respond. This is what we have. And then he says, have them sit down. So they have them sit down. Even in the midst of questioning, even in the midst of not understanding, even in the midst of not agreeing, your response to God is you do what he says. It's okay to question. It's okay to not like. It's okay not to agree with. That's great. It's not okay to not respond in obedience to what God's called you to do. When God calls you to love somebody at your workplace or in your school or in your family who's broken, who's sick, who's poor, that you don't like, that you don't want to love, that's okay to question it. God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like this person. God, I don't want to be a part of this. That's okay. You can say that. You can have those emotions. You can have those feelings. However, it's not okay to go, no, I'm not going to do this. And through this story, it very clearly communicates that Jesus can do whatever he calls these guys to do and says, you have them sit down. Give me what what it is that you've collected. Let's take these five loaves. Let's take these two fish. Obviously, in John, the, the different perspective and, and the different perspectives come up. I always like to do this because you have multiple you have multiple times that different accounts are shared, especially through the Gospels. You've got different perspectives on different stories that don't communicate one is right and one is wrong. Uh, it's not that Mark is missing here on what he's communicating about loaves and fish, and it's not that John is wrong or more right about what's being said. It's just different perspectives uh, on the same story, and that's okay. We see that in Scripture. You have different men writing. And you have different perspectives of the story. Mark actually wasn't there to see this. Mark heard this. He probably heard this either from Peter or just through the, the tradition and those that he encountered who might have been there. John writes from a perspective of John was there. John's at this event and is a part of going, Jesus, we don't have what we need. So you have two different guys writing, and you've got Matthew who was also there at the event, but he writes from a different perspective the same way as if you were to ask me and Chris, our worship leader, what happened tonight when he got here. When Chris got here, if you asked me what did you do, I would say Chris got here and we started talking about music and I busted out my guitar and I went through the new rendition of There's Only Eight, which is our song that we wrote for Sunday nights, and I walked him through the new rendition of what I'd added to that song. Um, it's a great song, and I'll sing it for you someday. Um, and then, you know, I put my guitar up, and we did some other things, uh, and we went on with our day. Chris might walk in, and I, and I would also tell you that it was very good, uh, very good playing of that song and singing, and it was just very quality. Chris might come in and say, you know what, we, we sat down, and yeah, he did sing that song, but he can't play the guitar. His guitar's out of tune, and he sings awful. I mean, it sounds like a dying bird. And then, you know, and he would walk through and give you different perspectives of the story and you would get more of a holistic view. It wouldn't be that I was right and he was wrong or vice versa. It would be that you saw two perspectives of the story and you get to see from multiple points and you get a fuller picture of. So you don't have negating opinions. You just have a bigger picture of what happened in this story. But regardless, Jesus takes the 12 minutes and says, you need to rest. Let's go rest. Jesus recognizes and knows when you need food, when you need rest, when you need provision for life. He sent 12 men out and said, you're going to go and you're going to share the gospel and you're going to cast out demons and you're not going to take anything with you and I'm going to provide everything you need and he did. They come back and he says, you're tired, you're hungry, you need a rest, let's go. Jesus knows what you need. God is going to provide what you need for you, your family, for shelter, for clothes, for food. He's going to take care of when you're a part of 
the kingdom of God, when you're a part of being productive in the kingdom of God, when you're doing what God has called you to do, He takes care of it. Not only that, there may be times when He calls you to do something that you don't want to do, you don't like, that you can't do. And your response is, I'm going to be obedient. We talked a couple weeks ago about stepping out on faith and trusting in God. Uh, when he calls us to do things that are that are bigger than we are. Um, but here plainly, Jesus calls 12 men to be a part of to do something they can't do. And they go out and they do it and they see something that is miraculous. The interesting thing, at the end of the story, it says that there are <clears throat> 5,000 men who are in this congregation or assembly of people that have come together to hear Jesus' teaching and now to be fed and to watch a man take five loaves, two sardines, and feed thousands upon thousands of people. We see throughout the storyline and throughout the book of Mark so far, thousands of people come running to Jesus when they see him. People come running to Jesus in the thousands. People hear Jesus teaching in the thousands. People are in awe and amazed at Jesus in the thousands. People see Jesus heal people in the thousands. People respond to the message to the Word of God as individuals. The end of the story says there are 5,000 men, meaning there are women and children. We all know that, that there are 30, 50, maybe plus thousand people who are in this situation. By the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus dies, is resurrected, and ascends. And the people who are waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem, there are 120. There are 50,000 people who are in the surrounding villages of Galilee who look and see on a boat Jesus and 12 men, and they recognize, they fully understand who He is, and they come running by the thousands to see this man. They hear His teaching. They hear about what God is doing and how He is working in man and how He's going to bring about redemption. They sit down and they eat until they're full and there are 12 basketfuls of leftovers from five rolls and two sardines and they respond to God in the end with nothing. The kind of teaching that Jesus is bringing, the amazement that He's bringing, what He's able to do, the miracles and all that is happening... What is, what is left at the end from the hundreds of thousands of people that Jesus encounters is 120. If we just walk through the storyline of what we've seen so far, last, uh, maybe it was three weeks ago or four weeks ago, you've got a dead girl and a woman who's bleeding. You've got thousands of people who are gathered around Jesus to see Him, to watch Him, to listen to Him. And the woman responds as an individual. She comes in the crowd and she responds as an individual. We may come together as a body to worship as in a crowd. We may come as a family. We may come as a group of friends. We may come as whatever it is in a crowd, but we respond to God as individuals. You don't know Jesus because your family comes to church. You don't know Jesus because you're a part of a church. You don't know Jesus because you grew up in a, in a Christian home and maybe your mom and dad took you to church. You know Jesus because you respond individually to the message that you're broken and you need God. 
Thousands of people come to hear, to be impacted, to watch, to see, and they leave in amazement, but yet they don't respond in a life of change. You can see, you can encounter God in in a special way. You can listen, you can hear teaching. You can be a part of a, a major movement. You can be a part of God doing something that's way bigger than you. But at the same time, you have to respond as an individual. We walk away with tonight. Finally, I have three points. <laughs> First time in my life I have three points. We walk away with, as followers of Christ, our life is not about when we go and serve and we go and do what God's called us. It's not a, hey, here's my time frame. Here's my here's the max I can put on my plate. This is what I got. I'm tapped out now. I need rest. If God calls you to do something, you go and you do it until the next thing. When God calls you to do something that's bigger than you are that you can't do, you be obedient and you go and you do it. And the last thing is when we encounter God in groups of thousands, of hundreds, of fifty, of eight, there it is again, I got it there. We respond as individuals. Allow God to let you know when you need rest. Be a part of what He calls you to do and respond to Him as an individual. Let's pray. Dear God, thank You for uh, tonight. Thank You for another chance to come together to worship You, to learn from Your Word, God. We thank You for revealing Yourself to us. God, I pray for opportunities for us to be involved in what You're doing in our community. God, I pray for those who don't know You, that You will help us to recognize and understand uh, people's need for, for love, for compassion, uh, and for You, God. We pray that You will give us, give us wisdom, strength, words to say, uh, ways to love people, ways to share you with people so that they can see their need for you uh, and respond to you, God. And we thank you for the love you've given us through forgiveness, the grace you've poured on us. And just praise you, honor you, worship, and again, remember all that you've done. Fresh we pray. Amen.